Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod. I'm your host, Omid Scobie, joined by the lovely Maggie Rooley. Where are you? Hello, hello. I'm in London. <laughs> Me too. Why are we oh never actually gosh. together? <laughs> I know. One of these days we're going to be together. We're both in London, separated by technology. But <laughs> soon, this is a tease, soon... We're going to be together doing this podcast. Exactly. It's a big deal. That doesn't mean we don't have lots to talk about this week. Um, despite it being the quiet August, or just see, seeing the end of the quiet August, I feel like the royal news continues, particularly with our friends over in the US, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, who have sort of like hit the ground running, really, ever since they bought that place in Montecito. It's true. I feel like they bought their house officially and now we're seeing them out and about, kind of almost becoming uh, local community members. I mean, I know we always say that August is quiet, uh, you know, anytime before Labor Day, but uh, we've seen them out and about. They're not taking this time off. Exactly. And we're going to talk about some of their work coming up shortly, including that landmark deal with Netflix that will see the couple produce oh, documentaries, docu-series, movies, scripted series, some of which are already in development. So we'll be going through some of the details from those this week, including the couple's touching tribute to Princess Diana, mm -hmm. who passed away 23 years ago this week. Um, we saw members of the royal family marking that day in different ways. Um, and as I mentioned on last week's show, uh, we just had that announcement about the memorial statue that will be going up at Kensington Palace. So you and I can talk about that shortly. But before we start with any of that, uh, I want to talk to you about food, Maggie, because the Prince oh, of I Wales always talk about food. <laughs> and the Duchess of Cornwall have been on a virtual taste tour of the UK this week. Wow. Sharing recipes. What a great and, idea. Yeah. Sharing recipes and anecdotes gathered during their travels around the country. Uh, they've now taken on to the sort of online space to speak about some of their favourite local delicacies. Do you want to know what they are? Well, yeah, this is good education for me as well as a still, you know, somewhat recent uh, newbie in the UK. I'm still learning all your food customs. So what are they? What are some of the ones I should know about? All right. Well, you tell me if you know these. Cornish pasties. Okay. N no idea. Is it a pastry? Uh, it is, is a it meat. It is, a, is, it is a, usually a meat-based pastry. It sort of has oh, like... Oh, that's pretty good. ...crinkled okay. edges. They sort of pinch mm. the edges on it. Um, this was a recipe <laughs> that Charles and Camilla discovered when they met a family-run company in a part of England called Callington. Um, Camilla mm. visited there. The other one was for something called Soda Files. Now, do you have any idea what that might be? Oh, I've... I really have... It's either like... It's like... Coca-Cola meets um, poultry. It's actually a type of bread. Oh, all right. I was 100% off. <laughs> I guess like soda bread is a thing. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And this one came from when they met a family running a traditional bakery in Northern Ireland. On top of that um, list were oat cakes. I'm sure you know what those are. Oh, okay. Are these... Are these, are oat cakes kind of like crackers, but they're called oat cakes, but people use them like crackers, but they're actually not like crackers? They are exactly that. <laughs> Thank you. Popular this is with what, okay, cheese. <laughs> 
people, don't be fooled when you come to the UK because they're going to put oat cakes out and you're going to think they're crackers, but they're not crackers. But you all eat them like crackers. So Camilla took to the Clarence House Instagram <laughs> accounts to share a recipe for oat cakes, um, oh, which cool. he says are commonly eaten at breakfast or <gasps> really? served up with a cheese board. Okay. All right. Well, you know, if it's good enough for Camilla, it can be good enough for me. I'll get behind it. Absolutely. Well, this week we also saw Prince George in the news um, for, I guess, a sort of slightly unexpected mm. headline. Um, one of the British tabloids reported that George is already partaking in one of the fa royal family's time-honoured traditions, grouse hunting on the grounds of Balmoral in Scotland. Because, of course, we know that the Cambridges were up in Scotland to spend time with mm. the Queen at the at her Scottish estate. Um, and this was a story that saw a little bit of controversy. Now, it's important to note that Prince George at age seven is not taking part in the grouse hunting, but he has joined his father, according to mm. reports, to see how it happens and to actually watch some of the shooting himself. Now, although grouse hunting is part of the agricultural landscape due to sort of number control, on the Balmoral estate. It didn't take long for controversy to take place. Uh, the animal rights group Peter have criticised this move to introducing George to shooting or grouse hunting, claiming that a child witnessing such a sport could damage their psyche and could desensitise George to the suffering of animals. Um, the pizza mm. director, Mimi Bekeshi, said that very few people these days view shooting for sports as anything other than a violent perversion that hurts and kills beautiful birds who are minding their own business. Wow, I thought it was a really interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was an interesting thing to bring up because, of course, on one hand, we have the royal family who, when we look at the work, the advocation that Prince William and Prince Harry have been doing when it comes to animal rights and the co conservation of animals, particularly in Africa and illegal wildlife hunting, does something like this feed into an unnecessarily sort of negative conversation that could perhaps detract from the great work that they're doing? Well, it's interesting, you know, we talk so much, Omid, about the future of the monarchy and sort of uh, the, the the new royal family, right? Are they going to bring them into the modern era? And you start to ask these questions, you know, yes, uh, tradition is so important in the royal family, but when do some of those traditions sort of seem outdated and old-fashioned and maybe something that we no longer celebrate? Now, I'm, I'm not saying that grouse hunting maybe is in that realm just yet, but clearly an organization like PETA makes a point saying, you know, this is something that we need to address and we need to think about and even challenges uh, them saying perhaps this is hypocritical of you to be doing something like this when you promote um, so many environmental acts as part of your platforms. So it's interesting. It's a really important thing to take a look at. You know, what is important when it comes to tradition and what's important when it becomes uh, when it comes to sort of changing the face of the monarchy for the future. Mm. Well, but both William and Harry hunted and shot from a young age, I think. There's this famous story that Diana had even jokingly called the boys killer whales. Um, <laughs> but of course, times have changed. Um, and as we see through the work that William and Harry have been doing, uh, certainly with Harry, he's been sort of slowly distancing himself mm. from the sport itself. I think the last time he was known to have taken part in any sort of uh, animal hunting was the pheasant shoot uh, for Boxing Day, uh, December 26th at Sandringham. 
a couple of years ago. Since mm. then, he hasn't been on any of the family shoots. And, you know, although a lot of this is sort of speculatively put on Megan for being an animal rights activist, I think a lot of it's down to the work Harry's been doing. Of course, we've seen him speaking with a number of different uh, sort of animal rights groups and also his focus on eco-advocation as well. I think sort of perhaps paint some of this stuff in a slightly different light. Um, but it is interesting to see that this is one thing or one hobby that members of the royal family don't quite seem ready to give up just mm. yet, despite how it may look to the public. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine how difficult it is to give up traditions, right? And especially one, as you mentioned, that uh, it's, it's controversial, but it also some people claim, uh, as you said, that it actually is sort of a, an environmental necessity to keep populations in check. And so, you know, I'm sure that they feel as if, of, of all things, uh, this is something that's still within the realm of sort of being environmentally friendly. Uh, but clearly not everyone feels that way. Clearly PETA and I'm sure other organizations are, are quite appalled by it. So it'll be interesting to see how they work that balance going forward. And especially, like you said, uh, when so many of the, the platforms that they work for and the patronages are all things that are centered around animal rights and, uh, and the environment and conservation. Uh, you know, speaking of that, Omid, I, th we, I think I mentioned to you that I recently spoke with one of the officials at African Parks, which is something that we know Harry is very involved with. And um, it was interesting to catch up with her because, you know, she was saying right now is a time where obviously there's so much happening in the world. And and unfortunately, a lot of money that traditionally goes to things like conservation or even tourism, which is also a big driver in raising money for conservation, that's all down right now. So they're worried about some of these parks in Africa uh, that may not be getting the same type of money they used to have. And they're seeing things like uh, potentially fears over an increase in poaching because all of a sudden they don't have the same money uh, to run their anti-poaching units. Uh, they're worried about you know drops in conservation because they don't have the same money uh, to work on the conservation efforts there and to raise awareness. Uh, so these are issues that are still ongoing. And you know again, there's so much happening in the world, and so um, there's a lot of things pulling people's focus. Uh, but keeping to, uh, you know still talking about things like animal rights and conservation, it is important. And so you know that might not have been the focus of what they were doing. With this grouse hunt but you know at the end of the day it is important to keep these things sort of active and in, in the the forefront of people's minds yeah do you think that sort of partaking in such sports detracts from the messaging that we get from sort of the likes of william and harry when it comes to animal rights do you think that mm. it is i understand that for, to them there is this sort of clear line between legal hunting and illegal and it's pretty obvious especially when we when we understand what is a protected species and what's not but would it not be easier to just break away from it entirely um, mm. for a sort of clearer message there I can imagine though it must be very difficult there's so much wrapped up in uh, family tradition and when they're already sort of uh, breaking away and making a name for themselves as young royals, uh, there's probably a part of them that feels like they owe it to the tradition of the family to keep you know, some of these uh, things alive. But I, I would sort of like to see them address it going forward. And, you know, whether it is official or just something that they wrap into some other the other work that they do, it does seem like it is something that deserves of um, a recognition, you know? Is it mm. something that um, they can sort of explain behind and you know um 
explain to people how this fits into their belief system as well. I think that would be something that's very interesting and that I'm sure a lot of people would want to hear. Yeah, well, the royal family has a long tradition of blood sports. I mean, the, but, mm. you know, as we know, the Queen has taken steps in recent years to prevent family members from being photographed doing it. Um, you know, famously, mm. Prince Philip, I think it was in 1961, um, found himself the subject of protest when he shot a tiger in India in 1961 and in 93 he hit a target of 10,000 pheasants during a seven-week <laughs> stay at Sandringham. So I think that again I think it's about optics for, and this is a family that's very aware of optics and whilst I do sometimes feel that um, it's easy to sort of criticise them for everything and that often is what happens here. <laughs> As you say, I think it would be something that would be important to discuss or at least have an open conversation about at some point. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's a, a jumping off point, right? These are conversations that are so important to have. And so this could be something that is a launch pad for conversations instead of, you know, someone's right and someone's wrong and it's also polarizing. If this could be used as a conversation starter, I think that could be a really great thing. Absolutely. Well, after the break, you and I are going to be diving back into the world of finding freedom because there were many questions that were left I'm unanswered so during our last session. Um, so whether I like it or not, we're diving in unprepared <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Welcome back. Well, it feels like a million years ago that Finding Freedom came out, but it has actually only been a few weeks. Um, and what few weeks has been? <laughs> you have had like a lifetime filled in those few weeks, Omid. It's been incredible to see the book continue to sort of be part of the conversation. You know, you never know at what point people are going to sort of move on to the next thing. And I think it shows just how much interest there's been in Harry and Meghan's story and how much people feel mm. they didn't know about it up until this point. It sort of ignited a whole bunch of new conversations and to see also the level of interest they have around the world. We just uh, signed a sort of number of new foreign rights deals this week and it's already available in like 12 languages yeah. and we're adding more to the list constantly and it just goes to show that sort of power of the re the mm -hmm. brand of the royal family but also that brand of team sussex which i think has almost sort of grown bigger or transcended further than the sort of royal family themselves at this point and it's really amazing. You see the interest. I mean, you're still getting so many questions online. We have been having people tweet at the AirPod um, for weeks now questions for you. I think even though they read the book, now they want to know more details about what happened. <laughs> well, if you have some, I'll be willing to go through them. But I... <laughs> Oh, don't you worry. I have quite a few moments. Okay. Um, Everyone, we so appreciate you sending in so many questions. Like we said, there are so many that we have some more today. So I'm going to get right to it with Omid. Um, Omid, let's see, PR Watcher wants to know, uh, do you think that this book will help or hurt the relationships with the family going forward? Well, that's interesting. I think, you know, it certainly will always be uncomfortable reading for anyone involved in some yeah. of these stories because I think... We really tackle some sensitive situations but I think I use the word sensitive because we have also done our best to treat them sensitively and 
I think rather than sort of adding to any drama, we've just tried to sort of illuminate the, the issues behind those fractures that we already see in front of us today. And, you know, I think it's important to note that where the books leaves off in sort of the beginning of April, things have progressed since that point. You know, we've certainly seen Harry continue to remain close to the Queen and I guarantee that him, Meghan and Archie would have been here mm. in Balmoral for the summer had that opportunity to travel have arisen and unfortunately the pandemic makes that very difficult but we are in a much better more positive place than when we were six months ago and I think that that's evident to all watching this story but I think we make it very clear in the book that there is hope for a lot of these relationships you know certainly with William and Harry that bond of brotherhood is unbreakable and it was interesting last week we're talking about the uh, unveiling of the Diana Memorial statue on Ju uh, July the 1st next year, which of course will be something that brings William and Harry together through their mother's legacy in a way that I think will be very powerful. And I think it's those moments like that and the bond that they do share that will see none of the sort of wounds that perhaps existed a few months ago be permanent. Yeah, I think, you know, it's almost it's too early to tell, huh? But I, I like that it's good to hear the hope in your voice. Uh, here's another one for you, Omid. This is from Rose the Riveter, Rochelle. Her question is, what was the most surprising thing you learned while researching your book? <laughs> good question. Um, so there's quite a few. <laughs> you know, it's always, for me, it was the small details. I am someone that loves to get to the bottom of who people are what makes them tick and you know just discovering small things about Prince Harry whether it's like how he takes his coffee or the fact that he always asks for the lid no plastic mm. lid to be removed uh, to be added to the cup or for no plastics on his dry cleaning and you know I think sometimes it's those small anecdotal details the minutiae that helps bring people's characters to life. And we sort of understand like what makes them tick. And so I really enjoyed getting to the heart of who they were as a couple and what their sort of mm -hmm. a day in the life of Harry and Meghan were like. And I love sort of discovering those details about sort of their daily Zoom calls with the various initiatives and people that they work with and how Archie is like no stranger to sort of climbing in front of the, the web camera and making little in, impromptu cameos. And it's, I think it's those sweet details that I enjoyed mm. discovering for the book. And I think it's what makes it such a fun read. In case anyone out there still has not read this book yet, those details that Omid's talking about are so fun. I mean, just everything you could imagine, Omid has figured out the details too. And so it makes it just like a little glimpse into this world that you really have never seen before. All right, Omid, here's another one for you. This is from Leslie Wondering. And she asks if the firm, the royal family, is so experienced in working with powerful world leaders, why couldn't they handle working with Meghan? Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, look, I think that there is no more pragmatic a family than the royal family. I think that they are capable of having sort of positive and healthy relationships with anyone. But as we've seen, or at least as this book goes into detail of, you know, this wasn't necessarily about relationships between royal family members and Meghan. This was about the institution of the monarchy and how they supported Meghan. And I think had Meghan have come in 
and done everything uh, sort of by the book, should we say, rather than ever come up with her own ideas or challenge uh, a, a sort of a way of working or bring in her own ideals, then it may have been very different. But that's obviously not what we can sort of realistically expect from a human being. You know, Harry loved her dynamism. It's what made her so exciting to be sort of a teammate with. And for that, I think it was that and the things that we often celebrate about Meghan internally just didn't fit in with the way things were done in the institution. And I think rather than anyone trying to accommodate those differences or that different work ethic, it was quickly seen as something very problematic and something that many tried to extinguish through uh, leaking stories to the press or generally making the couple's lives difficult internally. And it's why now we see them thrive in a way that we haven't for a long time. I mean, how much have they achieved in such a short period of time since leaving the royal family? That's, you know, they've really taken their careers as philanthropists to a whole other level. And I think that it shows just how much they were held back by tradition and hierarchy and stubbornness within the institution. Well, that sort of leads to my last question for you. And it's one that a lot of people have asked. And it's it's simple, but it's powerful. And it's just, do you think that Harry and Meghan are happy now? Oh, boy. Yeah, absolutely. You only need <laughs> to look at the work that they're doing and just how vocal they've been about things that are so important to them. Hearing Harry talk about systemic racism with this American civil rights leader or Meghan speaking many times over about the importance of voting and women voters and that great conversation she had with Gloria Steinem last week. You know, this is the couple operating in a way that I think that they've probably been desperate to for some time, but couldn't for a number of reasons, many of which tie, tie into sort of what's considered too politically sensitive or not. And on top of that, they're exploring new areas now. You know, you and I are going to talk about this Netflix deal mm in a moment. And I think that that marks a brand new chapter for them. It takes their legacy in a new direction and it allows them to continue to amplify the voices of those uh, that mean so much to them, uh, to communities that are often not part of sort of the stories that are told in the public domain. And I think for Harry and Meghan, that's very exciting. And then look at their personal lives. They bought this beautiful home in Santa Barbara. They yeah. have family nearby and they sort of get to thrive in a way that they haven't for some time. So the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Okay, so you mentioned this Netflix deal. It's it's a big one. Yeah, the Netflix deal is, you know, I think, firstly, it came as no surprise. Uh, this was announced uh, yeah. earlier this week, uh, Harry and Meghan signing a Megabucks deal with Netflix to produce documentaries, movies, scripted series, children's shows, and uh, series, documentary series as well. Um, mm. And might I add, neither of them have ruled out appearing on camera as well. And I think that that's really? not in an acting capacity, I must add. <laughs> um, but this is a chance for them to create content that, as they say, informs, but also gives hope. Um, it's a multi-year deal that will see them involved in the creative process, uh, also sort of discovering and acquiring intelligent rights to impactful stories and focusing on social issues 
that means so much to them. It's a very exciting opportunity and one I think uh, we've never really seen with a member of the royal family before. I know that comparisons have been made to Prince Edward's foray into television pr pr production in the 90s, but this is on a very, very different level. And I think when you've seen it, we've seen um, Megan do voiceovers for Disney, she the documentary Elephant as well, and so uh, we've seen sort of glimpses of this. Uh, there is a lot of excitement around not only potentially them being involved in it from a documentary standpoint, um, but also just what issues they're going to address. You know, I think we have an idea, issues that have always been important to them, I'm sure conservation, as we've already talked about on this show, but also things like women's rights and, you know, dealing with young people and mental health. Uh, so this is a huge platform for them, for them to tackle these big issues. I mean, we're talking about Netflix. And millions of people are going to have access to this, and it's really a powerful way for them to try to get those important issues across to the people that follow them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple say themselves, and they put out a statement saying, as new parents, making inspirational family programming is also important to us. And you know, sources close to the couple confirmed that they already have one animated children's series in development, which focuses on inspiring women. So I think this is really going to be them doing things that are perhaps less predictable. Um, I've seen so many conversations in recent days almost suggesting that they're going to be releasing some kind of reality show or uh, Megan's going to go back into acting <laughs> or whatever else is, is the sort of talk of the the day but in reality as you say this is really just sort of highlighting and illuminating the causes that mean so much to them and I think the fact that there are already things in development shows how long this has sort of been going on in the background it would not surprise me if the conversations about this deal began literally the second they left the UK um, <laughs> and stepped away as working members of the royal family well, I know I'm excited about it. I have my Netflix subscription ready. Do we know when they're going to start actually coming out with some of the, the content? No, but I mean, you know, look, we've already seen Harry appear in a Netflix uh, documentary, Rising Phoenix, which came out um, mm. just over a week ago now. It's, if you haven't seen it, check it out. He's one of the many voices in this documentary, which illuminates the history of the Paralympic Games. Um, and it goes right back to the beginning, uh, but really sort of inspiring and impactful stories of strength and courage and triumph over tragedy. It's a great, I guess, insight or glimpse into perhaps the kind of storytelling we'll see Harry focusing on in the future. And you know, there were there were reports recently that they were in talks with one of the big TV networks in the US. I wouldn't rule out uh, collaborations in other fields. Of course, we saw, as you say, Megan working with Disney Plus for Elephant, and Harry has the Apple TV Plus series uh, on mental health that he's uh, co-produced with Oprah Winfrey coming out at the beginning of next year. So I think this deal that they have with Netflix from what I understand, Netflix has sort of first rights to everything that they work on, but that doesn't tie them just to the platform. Um, but it, it's been a very smart choice. I think there's been a lot of conversation recently about will Harry and Meghan be sort of becoming a little too US centric in the work that they do for a couple that really represent, still represent the royal family and the Commonwealth on the world stage and it, I think it was very smart to go with Netflix which is very much a global platform the content mm, is made not just for one country it, it sort of surpasses more than one demographic and I think that's going to be very important to them in sort of projecting 
that work that they're doing. And, you know, let's not forget there's also the work that they're doing outside of film and television. You know, we saw Harry and Meghan spending the 23rd anniversary of Princess Diana's death mm. planting her favourite flower, forget-me-nots, at a local LA preschool in her memory. They were at the Preschool Learning Centre in LA, which is not far from Meghan's old high school. And uh, they not only dedicated um, a planting session with the kids there, I think they replant the school garden once a year. Harry and Meghan also spent time with the kids uh, speaking about the importance of healthy eating. And we learned from speaking mm. with the organisation that they've actually privately volunteered there before. We just didn't know about it. Oh, really? I did love those photos. Uh, Megan's hands were dirty from planting and she was just sitting on the ground cross-legged. I mean, again, we always say this about them, but it's so great to see the couple when they're really in their element and on the ground with the people that they're working with and it's always so great and powerful to see those photos absolutely especially continuing diana's legacy you know people mm. often ask in fact i was doing an interview earlier today and they asked me you know how often do you think diana is on harry's mind and i think that we see mm. that in all the work that he does that really he is sort of always making that concerted effort to continue her legacy to keep her memory alive and don't they do it well well maggie that takes us to the end of the show uh, I, I feel i feel slightly out of breath we covered quite a lot this week we did we really powered through and i have to say it was really fun hearing from everyone uh, that listens to the podcast that reads your book that always wants to know kind of what facts you're finding, Omid. I really like the, the question answering. So hopefully we can do some more of that in the future. I love when you guys reach out with questions and things you want to hear Omid talk about. Well, I would love to open it up. Let's go, let's, you know, put finding freedom aside for a second. If you guys have burning royal questions, be it about the Sussexes, you want to know more about the new Netflix deal, or if you just want to understand some of the traditions on a deeper level, hit us up. I'm at Scobie on Twitter, or you can send it to at Maggie Rooley. Just use the hashtag the AirPod uh, so we can find it easily. And we'll dedicate a little bit of the show to a Q&A every now and then. I'm a big fan of that, Omid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we will be with you every Friday, as always, your one-stop shop all the latest news on the British royal family. Maggie, it was a pleasure. Always Thank fun, Omid. Oh, thanks for having me on. Take care of yourselves and each other. Goodbye.